Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? And welcome back into the Above the Rim podcast. Today is Tuesday, August 18th, and I have a great show for you planned here today, including all of my reaction to the games yesterday, including Donovan Mitchell dropping 57 points in a playoff game and Kristaps Porzingis' questionable ejection last night against the Clippers. And I will also get into what I think happens in the games tonight. We got the Lakers, of course, kicking off their title run tonight, or what they hope to be a title run. Blazers obviously looking to upset them. It's clearly a game a lot of people are looking forward to. So I'm going to get into all of that and a whole bunch more on this episode of the Above the Rim. So sit back, relax, and let's get this thing started. And with that, I will start with the most recent news, which is the Milwaukee Bucks drop game one against the Magic. I'm recording this actually after the Bucks game. So this game actually did go final. And the Bucks, of course, they lost game one. And I know a lot of people, they're going to panic. The Magic won by 12, 122 to 110. They played a nice game. And I know a lot of people are going to panic about the Bucks. It happens every year. But please just pump the brakes. No need to worry just yet. I'm looking at the stats right now. Vucevic, obviously, for the Magic, had an outstanding game. But so did Giannis. You know, Giannis had a great game as well. But it looked like the other Bucks just had a little bit, just couldn't get going, really. Look at Giannis. He's got 31, 17, and 7 in that game. Chris Middleton only with 14. Now, you all know how I feel about Middleton. I think that he can give the Bucks problems because I don't know how reliable he is. I mean, he said during the quarantine he didn't pick up a basketball once. Now, when I heard that, I shook my head because that can't be good news for the Bucks. I mean, you didn't pick the basketball up once in a four-month hiatus. I mean, of course, he looks a little rusty to start in this bubble and in this playoffs. The Bucks just, they look rusty. Giannis, he's going to be honest, but he needs these other guys to step. I'm looking at Brooke Lopez, 30 minutes, five points. I mean, he's got to give him more than that. And I know what the narrative is going to be tomorrow. The narrative is going to be it's time to panic about the Bucks. Just pump the brakes because if memory serves me correctly, the NBA champion last year, which was the Toronto Raptors, also dropped a game one versus the Magic. The exact same team. The Magic team got them in game one. It was panic mode. People were worried. Oh, my goodness, is this Kawhi Leonard thing going to work out for the Raptors? He's going to leave right after this year. Just relax, pump the brakes a little bit. The Milwaukee Bucks will be fine. I think they'll do what the Raptors did last year. I think like the Raptors lost game one last year against the Magic, and then they rattled off four straight. I look for the Bucks to do the same. Giannis has been incredible. I think he continues to be incredible, and I think the other supporting cast pieces really start to pick it up. So no need to really worry about the Bucks. But I'm looking at the stats here, and one thing that does concern me a little bit about the Bucks is their defense within this bubble hasn't been the same. I'm looking at the field goal percentage for the Magic, 49% compared to the Bucks, 43%. I mean, that's not going to get it done. And then they were 39% on three-pointers. They made 16 of 41, did the Magic on the Bucks. Bucks are obviously going to need to defend that better. And really, the free throws, 18 of 19 for the Magic, 18 of 28 for the Bucks. Bucks got to get better at the free throw line. But I think this is one of those aberration games. Game one of the playoffs maybe caught the Bucks a little off guard. Maybe the Bucks were a little sleeping, a little sleepy in this. You know, maybe they're overlooking the magic a little bit. Nothing to worry about, though. I expect the Bucks to take control over game two. But it really does show you there's a lot of weird things happening in this bubble. And that's what makes these playoffs so interesting. I just want to tell you guys, I know what the narrative will be tomorrow. It's going to be panic time for the Bucks. Don't buy into it. Bucks are fine. I still think they win this series in five. And now with that out of the way, you know I got to get into it. Of course, it was the big story of the night last night. The Clippers and the Mavericks. 
Chris stops, Porzingis gets thrown out. And before I get into all that, I do got to say, this was one of the most bizarre basketball games I've ever seen, especially in the playoffs. I mean, you're watching the game the first few minutes. It really looked like the Clippers were going to thump the Mavericks, and I mean thump them. They got out to a massive lead in this game, and they started the game actually on a 10-0 run and got out to an 18-2 lead. I I thought it was over. I was like, all right, the Clippers are for real. They're showing they're for real. They struggled a little bit in the bubble. I thought, well, now that the playoffs are here, they came to play, and I thought, you know, definitely the Mavs are in trouble, especially Luka. He had four turnovers early. And I thought, you know, maybe the first playoff game, I don't think I don't think Luca has jitters. I mean, you're talking about someone who's been playing a playoff game since he was 16 years old across seas. So I don't think he had jitters, but I do think the Mavericks were not ready for the onslaught of just great defense the Clippers were playing on them to start that game. And it was apparent early. I mean, the Mavericks were sloppy. They could not get anything going. Luca was turning the ball over all over the place, and the Clippers' defense was all over him. I mean, they sent multiple guys at him. Patrick Beverly was all in his face all in his chest you know what Patrick Beverly does he's an instigator that's what he is he plays physical defense and just when I think that this game's over I'm like I'm like thinking I should go to bed I should turn this I should turn this thing off then the Mavericks go on a massive 48 to 14 run and just it just shocked me I've never seen anything like it this game was the literal definition of a roller coaster ride then the mavericks end up taking the lead 38 34 at the end of the first quarter when in the first few minutes they were down 18 to 2 that's quite a turnaround for the mavericks i was shocked and the mavericks really on offense were getting everything they wanted luka Doncic, once he settled into this game was picking apart the Clippers. It reminded me a little of a LeBron James-esque type of game. He was driving the lane, kicking it out to three-point shooters, and the Mavericks have a lot of shooters. I'm looking at Tim Hardaway. He can hit the three. Seth Curry, we know what he's about. He can hit the three. Chris Stops can hit the three at times as well. So they were looking really good there, and they actually had control of the game until Chris Stops got thrown out. When Chris Stops got thrown out, I want to remind you guys, The Mavericks were leading the Clippers by five points. They were in control of that game. Luka was getting where he wanted. He was picking apart that great Clipper defense that I keep hearing about. And really, it looked like the Mavs were on their way to winning. And then you get the cheap technical fouls on Kristaps. Now, look, you know, if you want to give him a technical on the second one, I I totally agree. You know, maybe he's instigating, but he's really just going to defend his player. If you're asking me, there should be a technical on neither play. I mean, you're going to give him a technical early on for punching the air out of emotion, and it's a playoff game. I don't understand what that's about, and I might go on a little bit of rant here, but really, I mean, I think the Clippers have this series in the bag. I think they're the better team. But for the Mavericks, what a backbreaker because you were in control of that game, and you don't know what happens. If the Mavericks win that game and they're up 1-0, suddenly they got a shot in the series. And that's just, I mean, the refs really won this game for the Clippers. That was my biggest takeaway. The refs decided this game, not the Clippers, because the Clippers were not in control of it. They couldn't stop Luka to save their lives. And even when Kristaps went out, they couldn't stop Luka, and the Mavericks still hung in there. And I just think it was, I mean, I, I I don't really have any words to describe how mad I was about that call. In a playoff game, you cannot throw out a team's second best player like that for something like that. I mean, really? And then you have, please, can we please stop getting Steve Javi on these calls because he defends the refs no matter what. And I'm tired of it because he said, well, by the letter of the law, punching the air, that's a technical foul. And by letter of the law, those are technical 
technical fouls. And I get it. Kristaps has got to be smarter. But listen, this is the playoffs. I mean, the emotions are going to run high, and the refs need to understand that, and they need to give these players a little leeway to play with those emotions. I just didn't like it. I didn't like one bit of it because Steve Javi's response, oh, boy, by the letter of the law, that is a technical foul. Well, if we're going by the letter of the law, then I don't understand how Draymond Green makes it past 30 games a season. I really don't because he's punching the air and he's being demonstrative every single possession. Even Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson and Mike Breen on the telegat on the telecast, excuse me, all called it. And they're so right, especially Jeff Van Gundy. Why do they give certain leashes to players or why do they give longer leashes to certain players and not other players? It seems to me if you keep your composure a lot of times, if you don't complain a lot, the moment you do anything demonstrative towards the refs or demonstrative towards anything, because that punch in the air was not even towards a ref. He punched the air and let it go. So if you usually keep your composure and you do anything out of character, it's an automatic tech. But back to Draymond Green. If that's really the letter of the law, then how is this guy allowed to stay in games? And it's because what Jeff Van Gunny said is absolutely correct. They give leashes to players that are more demonstrative. They go in the game knowing, hey, you know what? This guy, he likes to complain a lot. So we're going to give him a way longer leash than, per se, someone that doesn't. And you just see it come up over and over again in these NBA games. And I just think it ruins the integrity of the NBA. It makes it look very weak. And I hate to see it in a playoff game. I mean... That was the weakest ejection I've ever seen for a playoff game, and it definitely cost the Mavericks the game. I'm not going to go as far as say it cost them the series because I think the Clippers are the way better team overall, but when you're talking about that one game that the Mavericks were in control of when Kristaps was in there, it definitely changes the whole complexion. That's their second best player, and I don't know if you watch the Mavs, but besides Luka and Porzingis, they don't have a plethora of great players on that team. So the refs severely hampered that squad, and my biggest takeaway from that game is the refs decided the game. They gave that game to the Clippers. That was a gift from the basketball gods, and the Clippers and Kawhi Leonard took it. My second takeaway is basketball and a lot of sports are all about narratives. And one of the most interesting things I think about this playoff, and really since this bubble happened, is the different narrative between the Clippers and the Lakers. You see it every day. You see it play out every single day. The, the Clippers, look, you talk about the Lakers and the Clippers, they have completely different narratives. When the Lakers struggle and they drop a game or they struggle and they barely hang on, it's the sky is falling in L.A. The Lakers are done. They can't beat the Clippers. I'm watching that game last night, and if the Clippers are as good as people say they are, without Kristaps Porzingis, because he was lost for much of that game, they should have blown out the Mavericks. But instead, they didn't. They allowed the Mavericks to hang around. They allowed Luka Doncic to kill him over and over again, and I think that's concerning. I mean, call me wrong, but I think a lot of people in the NBA are afraid to criticize the Clippers. I mean, you go around every analyst, and it's all Clippers are great. They're the deepest team. They're this, they're that. And they're afraid to criticize them, but they criticize the Lakers for everything. Case in point, an example, when the Lakers played the Nuggets in the bubble, they, they got the last second win. Yes, they did, but they did still get the victory, and people said the sky was falling for the Lakers. That's it. They're done. They can't beat the Clippers. And all because the Nuggets rested their starters in the fourth quarter, right? Well, get this. The Clippers play them also. The Nuggets also rest their starters in the fourth quarter in what is a close game through three. And the Clippers win... 
And then you go on the shows the next day, and it's all about how the Clippers are the deepest team. They're the favorites, you know. And I just think it's been really interesting to see these two narratives play out in this bubble. Because, I mean, it, it's, it's hilarious to me. To me, the Lakers are fine. They lost, or they did go 3-5, and five, but they didn't have anything to play for. And the game that they won happened to be the most important game to them because it locked them up the number one seed. And that was against the Clippers on the opening night restart. I just think it's interesting the different narratives that we play and how people just really don't want to criticize the Clippers. I'm watching it last night. There's a lot of miscommunications. Now it is only their 13th game playing together. And I think that's a problem. It's only the starters 13th game playing together all season long. We're talking about a 70 game season this far. They've only played 13 games and you saw it last night. The miscommunications on defense. Who do you got? Am I going to stop? Am I going to step in front of Luca and help you? Or what am I doing? I'm going to leave a shooter open in the corner. That happened all night. Miscommunications happened all night long. And Montrezl Harrell, like we said, hasn't played basketball in a while. Might be out of shape. Only gave him 15 minutes, and he was gassed in that game. He was jogging back on defense. He wasn't running. That's very uncharacteristic for him, so you know he was tired. So I think people, the, the, the narratives between these teams is hilarious. I mean, it's always panic for the Lakers. And then when the Clippers lose, it's it's all right. They don't care. Wake us up in playoff time. Well, I watched that game during playoff time yesterday. And not a lot about the Clippers team really impressed me that much. I got to say, I expected a lot more from them. I thought they were going to thump the Mavs, especially after that start. And I don't know what happened, but I think it's something to be talked about. The chemistry on this team is not as good as I think it could be. And that has a lot to do with Kawhi Leonard and all of them trying to load manage and be healthy for the playoffs. I mean, you got to build that chemistry. And last night, I didn't see a lot of it, and I saw some things that does that do raise my eyebrows. I do still think they're going to get in the Western Conference Finals, but I saw a lot of things that raised my eyebrows last night and that are really interesting about this team that nobody seems to want to talk about. But that's neither here nor there. I just wanted to point out the different narratives that I've seen throughout the bubble so far because it is really interesting when you look at it. And even when you bring the Bucks in it, look, the Lakers and the Bucks both went three and five throughout the bubble, but nobody was hitting the panic button on the Bucks. But everybody seems to hit the panic button on the Lakers. I think a lot of people forget what playoff LeBron looks like. He's going to show us again tonight, hopefully. And we'll go from there. But so far, look, the Clippers, what my, another big takeaway for me in this game was the Mavs might give the Clippers a bit more problems than they thought. So it'll be an interesting series going forward, and we'll see how that plays out. But now I do want to move on to that Denver game. Ooh, man, that was a good one, an OT thriller. It seems like every time these teams play, it's neck and neck, and it's OT. And Donovan Mitchell, man, I got nothing but good things to say about him until we get to, like, the last two minutes of the game. But those first <laughs> those first 44 minutes of the game, he was great. He was fantastic, or 44, 46, whatever it is. He was fantastic. 57 points. That is the third highest playoff total in NBA history. So you know he came out to ball in that game, and I was really in awe. And really, he seems to kill the Nuggets every time because you think about it just a week before, a week or so before in the bubble on a Saturday game, he killed the Nuggets as well. He hit clutch shot after clutch shot in that game. So it really should become not surprising. I don't think the Nuggets have a lot of people that can handle Donovan Mitchell, and they've definitely shown it up to this point. Now, like I said, Donovan Mitchell was very impressive for the first 46 minutes of that game. 
but he did end up costing the Jazz the game, in my opinion. And there is no, there's no excuse for it. If you're a star in this league, there is no excuse that you get an eight-second backcourt violation. I mean, that is one of the biggest blunders in a playoff game I've ever seen, especially by someone who's scored 57 points. I mean, I mean, you just look at it. The Jazz had a four-point lead and the ball at that point, and they could have really put a dagger in it because it was less than two minutes to go. I think it was actually less than a minute and a half to go. But instead, Donovan Mitchell gets that eight-second backcourt violation, and Murray comes down and drains a three to cut it to one, and then you know the rest. The Nuggets force or overtime, and they get the 135-125 to 125 win in OT. So Donovan Mitchell's got to be better than that. There is no excuse. He was sensational for the first four. 46 minutes, but that really doesn't matter when you look at the last two minutes, and he's really the one that cost the Jazz that game. Either way, I think it's it, it, it worries me a little about the Nuggets. I think they're one of the more talented teams in the league, but it seems to me when they get to the playoffs, they just let people beat them. I mean, you're talking about the Blazers last year. They just let Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum beat them. I mean, the Blazers should not have won that series, but those two just went off and they let them beat them. Those two guys beat them. If you're looking at the Jazz right now, the Nuggets cannot let Donovan Mitchell beat them. And that's got to be a defensive focus. They've got to do something more on the defensive end to guard this guy because it seems like that's what the Nuggets do in the playoffs. They let one or two people beat them. Hopefully this year that's not the case. I don't think it will be. I do think the Nuggets should have handled that game a lot better than they did. I mean, there's no Mike Conley for the Jazz. That's a huge loss for the Utah Jazz. That could be a 20-point-a-game score. And when you don't have him and you still barely win 135-125 in OT, I mean, that's a little concerning. The Nuggets should be handling the Jazz in my opinion. And look, Jokic, he had a big game, 29-10. and 10. For all the accolades that Rudy Gobert gets on defense, he can't seem to handle Nikola Jokic. And Jamal Murray, of course, with 36 points, 9 assists, and 5 rebounds. I mean, those are good games for two stars. But I just expect to see more from the Nuggets. And one of the things that really interested me about the Nuggets and really kind of irked me a little bit, if I can say, is that Michael Porter Jr. did not play in the fourth quarter in the last, like, six minutes. He was not a part of the closing lineup. And for the life of me, I can't understand. I mean, I talked to a few people that are Denver fans, and they're like, you know, well, he struggles on defense. All right, yeah, he does struggle on defense. But Jamal Murray, I'm watching him on, him on defense, excuse me, and it's no better. I mean, Jamal Murray can't defend anything. And it, it's just it, it just baffles me that Michael Porter's on the bench. If he is really going to be one of your three key pieces, then you've got to start playing him at the end of ballgames. I don't know what Mike Malone is doing. You're babying this kid. It's a lot like the Pelicans with Zion. Just throw him out there. If I have my three best players out on the court, I will live with the results. I just think that's a little bit interesting, and I hope Mike Malone doesn't ruin this series for the Nuggets because the Nuggets should handle it you know, fairly well, especially with no Mike Conley. We don't know when he's coming back. I, don't, I haven't seen any reports that he's back to the bubble or that he's traveled back yet. So he still has to travel back, do a four-day quarantine. So right now, it's looking like he might not even be available till game four or game five. These are games the Nuggets should win easily. And that's why, if you ask me, I got the Nuggets taking game two on Wednesday. I think they do get it because Mike Conley is out, and I got the Nuggets taking a 2-0 lead. But this could be a long series. I just I'm going with the Nuggets talent because I 
it just I don't trust the Jazz without Mike Conley. They don't have enough creators, and if they need a Donovan Mitchell to score 57, he's obviously not going to do that every night. So I'll take the Nuggets in game two. I think the Nuggets still win this in about six. I wouldn't be surprised if it went seven, but for the Nuggets' sake, I hope it doesn't go seven because they're just more talented than the Jazz. It shouldn't really go seven for them. The Nuggets and Jazz weren't the only early game yesterday. The other early game, of course, was out east, and that was the Raptors and the Nets. Raptors, of course, getting the victory 134 to 110. They really controlled the ball game. They held a 33-point lead in the first half, so they obviously came out like gangbusters. They came out ready to go. But the Nets were able to cut it down to nine in the fourth. Now, here's the interesting thing. I watched it, and not at one point, even when the Nets went on the run and cut it to four or cut it to nine in the fourth. Not for one second did I think the Raptors weren't in danger in that game. I mean, I think they're going to control this series. I think they'll win in four or five. I would say four. And really, look at this first round. The Raptors are really the only team that came out and made a statement. Now, obviously, the Nets are a team they're supposed to beat down, but they did. And, you know, there's a lot of teams like the Bucks were supposed to beat down the Magic today, and they didn't. So you got to give credit where credit is due. Nick Nurse has these guys ready to go. And the thing that's really scary about the Raptors, you look at Fred Van Vliet yesterday, he had 30 points. The thing that's real scary about this team is they don't have really one guy. Pascal Siakam is kind of that budding star, but he's not there yet. What they really have is a lot of talented guys and a lot of guys that could get their own. I mean, you're looking at this, I'm looking at this seven players in double figures yesterday for the Raptors, and nine players played 10 plus minutes. So that's a deep squad. Nick Nurse has a lot of trust going deep in his bench. And look, you got Mark Gasol who can still give you a 20 and 10 game. Serge Ibaka can give you a 20, 10, and 5 game here and there. Fred Van Vliet can definitely give you a 30 point game. And Kyle Lowry, we know what he can do. He can do that as well. And so can Siakam. So it's a deep team. You never know what night who's going to beat you. And they usually feed the hot hands. So. I think the Raptors are being overlooked. I do think they're going to get to the Eastern Conference Finals, especially with the Celtics losing Gordon Hayward, which I will talk about in a minute for four weeks with that ankle sprain. But I just really like what the Raptors are doing, and I really like Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry, that backcourt. And just look at the difference in narratives for Kyle Lowry. Before winning the title, he was always looked at a guy that couldn't get it done. He's always looked at kind of soft and everything of that nature. Now, after the title, he's a scrappy guy. And now he's a reliable guy and possibly the best Raptor of all time. Not possibly, excuse me. He definitely is the best Raptor of all time. He's earned that right. So just what a difference a title can make for your own career narrative and everything of that nature. Very happy for Kyle Lowry. And the Raptors are a team everyone should be afraid of. Now, I did mention it also, the Celtics. Obviously, they lost Gordon Hayward. Now, this would be the Raptors' second-round matchup, so let's just get into that Celtics versus 76ers game yesterday. Well, the Celtics end up getting the win against the 76ers yesterday in game one to take a 1-0 lead. They won 109-101. to And one question everyone's been asking is, is this the playoffs? Is this the year that Jason Tatum becomes a superstar? Now, for me, I still have him as kind of a rising star. I got to see more for him to even be a star. I know he was an all-star this year. I've got to see more, though. In that first half, he really answered the bell. He scored 21 in that first half. But for the Celtics, 
This was a tale of two halves, and the first half belonged to Jason Tatum, and the second half belonged to Jalen Brown. I mean, this is their duo. Obviously, they have Kemba in there as well, but this is the duo that's going to lead them into the future, and I've been super impressed by Brown, even a little more impressed than I think by Tatum this year because Jalen Brown is knocking down that three-point shot with consistency, and if he does that, the Celtics are very dangerous because he plays hellacious defense as well. So that's really what the game was to me. It was a tale of two halves. One half belonged to Jason Tatum. The other half belonged to Jalen Brown. And the 76ers, I mean, without Ben Simmons, that's just a dagger to them. If they had Ben Simmons, I would give them a shot in this series. But without him, I think this series only goes six. I think Embiid is dominant enough to get two games. But there's one thing that just bothered me about Embiid last night. And that is that he only had 15 shots. Now, he ended up with 26.16 rebounds. So it looks like a good stat line. But... 15 shots for Embiid when while I'm watching, I'm looking at the Celtics and I'm just thinking, wow, they have nobody that can stop or guard Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid, this has got to be his series. This has got to be his time. And he's got to put up more than 15 shot attempts. Without Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid needs to put up at least 30 shot attempts. I mean, I know that's high, but I would say 25 to 30 at least. And if I was Brett Brown, I'd want 30 out of him. And he's going to need to mix up the perimeter game and the low block game, because every time he goes to that low block, Brad Stevens, he knows how to devise the defense. He's going to send people to him to double-team him where he doesn't know where they're coming from, and he's not the most gifted playmaker, so he does struggle with that. And he's just going to need to add in some perimeter game. He's going to need to add in that little mid-range jab step that I know he can do because I've seen it. He's very capable of it, and he just needs to be up to 30 field goal attempts a game if they want any chance to win any of these games. I'm looking at last night. The reason why they were even able to stay in the game is that they had 23 bench points to the Celtics' eight. And really where you look at where Philly lost this game was the turnovers. They had 18 turnovers to Boston. Seven, Boston got 21 points off of those 18 turnovers. So Brett Brown's really got to clean this team up. And I know, I mean, it's hard to judge him without Ben Simmons, but I mean, they're going to. I mean, I think he's going to be fired after this year. That's just my personal belief about it because I think they've seen enough. Ben Simmons and him have underachieved a lot, and he just can't seem to get the best out of these guys. But my big takeaway was Embiid, if the 76ers want a chance, he's got to shoot the ball at least 25 to 30 times. Now, I did mention that Gordon Hayward lost for four weeks. I don't think it's going to be a big deal in this series. Like I said, I think the Celtics win this series in six, and that's because Ben Simmons is missing. So I don't think it makes a difference in this series, but where it does make a difference is the next series against the Raptors. So hopefully he can get back. That's a big loss for the Celtics. And I'm really just hoping as the playoffs go on that a lot of these players can stay healthy as we move forward. And with that, let's move on to the games that are happening tonight. As I'm recording this, it looks like the Heat will take game one against Indiana. No surprise to me there. I have the Heat taking this series in six or seven. Wouldn't be surprised if it goes seven. I think Indiana's a nice scrappy team, but I think Victor Oladipo is the wild card for them. So it looks like the Heat are going to take the 1-0 lead. No surprise there. And, of course, tonight's game, it starts with the Thunder and the Rockets. I don't know if there's any more pressure on any superstar than there is on James Harden without Russell Westbrook in this game. And all the narratives surrounding CP3, of course, he wanted CP3 out in favor of Russell Westbrook. 
the Rockets thought CP3 would be broken down by the end of the year. That's why they got rid of him. Well, now it turns out Russell Westbrook's broken down, and CP3 is good and going, and he's going to be playing tonight, and he's balling. He's got the Thunder in that nice fifth seed. So a very interesting game. I think this could be one of the best series of the first round. I actually do think this series will go seven. I don't know when Westbrook will be back. They're saying he could be back this weekend, and if that's the case, I think the Rockets are in good shape to win. But as you heard in my prediction podcast there earlier last week, if Westbrook doesn't play a lot of the series, expect the Thunder to upset the Rockets. And I just want to go back to James Harden because all the pressure is on him without Russell Westbrook. Can you imagine the things that they're going to say about James Harden if he can't bring this one home, even without Russ? If he can't beat the Thunder, I mean, there's already rumblings about how short he comes in the playoffs. I can only imagine how bad it would get for him if he's not able to beat the Thunder and Chris Paul his former teammate who he wanted out bests him in a series. Very interesting storylines in that series. It's one of the most interesting playoff series of the first round. I can't wait for that game to get started. We'll see what James Harden does. Obviously, the Rockets are going to need superhero efforts from him without Westbrook, and we'll see if he can deliver, especially in these playoffs. It's going to be very interesting to see. And it's going to be interesting to see when Westbrook comes back. Like I said, if he comes back this weekend for games three and four or whatever it is, well, then I give the Rockets a great shot. All they need to do is split these first two games if that's the case. But if he's not ready to come back by then, the Rockets are in some serious trouble, and you should start looking at the thunder of possibly being able to move on from them in this first round. And now it's time to talk about the game of the night, the game everybody is waiting for. Will it be Dame time or will it not be? Of course, we got the Blazers and the Lakers tipping off at 7 Mountain Time, so I can't wait for that game. What's interesting to me is what I want to see is were the Lakers just kind of giving up the seeding games because they had nothing to play for, or are there real concerns? That's going to be the big thing I'm going to be watching out for the Lakers because I'm not sure what to make of it. I'm really not. Like, part of me wants to think that they there is some concerns, and then part of me is also like, well, I mean, the way they were so dominant during the regular season, it's so hard to think that they've fallen that bad. I mean, that that's hard for me to believe. So it's going to be interesting for me to watch that tonight. And also, it's King James, his first playoff game in about two years, and we know what playoff LeBron looks like. I believe in 2018 he gave you something like 33-9-9, and something like that. He puts up ridiculous number. Playoff LeBron is a lot different than regular season LeBron, and I'm also excited to see LeBron and Anthony Davis's first playoff game together. What does Anthony Davis look like? I think they both honestly have big games, and I think the Lakers win this one. No, I do think it's going to be close. I definitely do. I think Dame Dollar deserves his respect. And I wouldn't be shocked, honestly, if the Blazers won this one. You're looking at the Lakers. They haven't played real big minutes in about a week here. So there could be a little bit of rust going on. I'm just interested to see how the Lakers respond, how their defense does. I mean, their defense was atrocious in the bubble seeding games. I'm wondering how that improves or if it doesn't improve. I'm really interested to see Kyle Kuzma, what he does tonight. And I think it'll be a close game, but my gut's telling me right now that the Lakers end up with the 1-0 lead. And, of course, we got to talk about the Trailblazers. It's going to be a star-studded court out there tonight, baby, and I can't wait. I mean, Dame Lillard, he's killed the Lakers this year. We know how the Lakers are with their perimeter defense. I mean, they struggle with it. They definitely struggle with it, and they're definitely going to have their struggles with CJ and Dame. I mean, that's not a good 
problem to have on defense to be struggling at when you have those two coming. And then also you got Carmelo. What's he going to do? I'm interested to see who do the Blazers put on LeBron James because that's going to be the real interesting thing. We saw some reports that maybe LeBron was throwing a little bit of shade at CJ McCollum with the rap lyric earlier this week. I think LeBron in crunch time is actually going to guard CJ, not Dame. I think Dame's a little too quick for him. I think LeBron actually guards CJ, kind of shuts him down. But what's interesting is who do the Blazers have guard LeBron? Because I'm looking at this roster, and they have absolutely nobody that could. I mean, you can't put Dame on him, Dame on him, obviously. You can't put CJ on him, obviously. And then you look at Melo. Are you going to put Melo on him? Are you going to put Gary Trent Jr. on him? I mean, I feel like LeBron's going to light that matchup up pretty good. So... I'm not sure where the Blazers are going to go on their defense. Maybe they're going to trap LeBron, maybe force him to get rid of the basketball, force other people to beat beat them. I mean, that would be a good game plan. We'll see what happens, though. I think LeBron and Davis have big games, though, because I don't see anyone on Trailblazers that can really handle Anthony Davis either. I mean, Nurkic, he's nice. He's a good offensive player, but when it comes to defense, I don't think he has very much of it, and Anthony Davis usually bullies him when they play, so... A lot of interesting things to watch tonight, for sure. I mean, I read some reports that Rajon Rondo was cleared to play tonight. I don't know how true that is. So we'll see if he's able to go tonight. That would be certainly interesting. Uh, That would give them someone to throw on Damian Lillard, even if he's no offensive threat at this point, obviously with a broken thumb, which I don't expect him to be. If he can give them some defensive minutes, that would be fantastic for the Lakers, and I think LeBron would definitely welcome that. Well, it turns out, as I read my phone here, that Rajon Rondo will not suit up tonight. He has been medically cleared to play, but he will not suit up tonight. So big loss for the Lakers. I think that there was a game that the Blazers could get. This is it. I think the Lakers closed the series out in six. So this could definitely be a game for the Blazers that they could get. No Rajon Rondo in there. Maybe Dame goes off. Obviously, they've played a lot more meaningful games the last week than the Lakers have. So they're obviously not going to be that rusty. We'll see what happens, though. I do think the Lakers are sick of hearing every negative thing talked about them so far. And I think that they come out ready to go here tonight. I think we see some playoff LeBron. And I'm excited because it's been a while since we've seen it. But with that, we'll go ahead and end the episode here. Thank you, as always, for joining me on the Above the Rim podcast. It is August 18th, of course. I appreciate it. And don't forget, if you like this podcast, please give it a follow on wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it be Spotify, the podcast app, wherever. Give it a follow. Share it around with all your friends. And join in on the discussion. I can't wait to hear your thoughts. But with that, we'll go ahead and see you Thursday. We'll see how these things play out.